Alright, my friends, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Um, where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Joey is my... What? If you're in the Blue Bible, we're on page 557. 557. Joey usually sits over there. He threw me a curveball. I'll be doing that. I struggle enough on normal days. Can't be doing that. 557. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. 557. Uh, if you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you, please. We would love for that to be our gift to you uh, for worshiping with us today. Maybe you know someone who needs a Bible. Take that blue one home with you. We love giving those Bibles away. Uh, church, I just ordered a new case of Bibles. We've been giving them away and giving them away and giving them away. Awesome stuff. Thank you, church, for being willing to do that. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes almost smack dab right in the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's right smack dab just about in the middle of the Bible. We're going to be on chapter 9. That's big number 9. We'll be starting there in a moment. Okay, if you've been worshiping with us the past several weeks, we've been going through Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a tough book, isn't it? It's a tough book. There's some tough truths that come out of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we believe, was written by a king named King Solomon. Very wise man, very powerful man, very wealthy man. And he's doing this experiment where he goes and he says, I got to find satisfaction somewhere under the sun. We're going we're gonna to take God out of the equation and King Solomon is doing this experiment to say, what on earth can make life worth living? What can I pursue that will make me satisfied? What will make me really joyful? He's tried money. He's tried sex. He's tried power. He's tried everything we can imagine. As we've worked through Ecclesiastes chapter by chapter, what has he found? Has any of those things given him satisfaction? No. He calls them vanity. What we like to call it here, we've called it smoke. Everything under the sun, Solomon says, and this is the Word of God. God inspired these words from him. Everything under the sun is like smoke. Looks like something. I might be able to approach it, but as I wrap my arms around it, what happens? It's gone. Everything is smoke. Everything is smoke. Everything in our life under the sun, will not satisfy us. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And as we've journeyed through our lives in Ecclesiastes, and as we've journeyed through Solomon's life and his experiment in Ecclesiastes, we found smoke after smoke after smoke after smoke after smoke. And there's been one thing that has been circling over these issues. There's been one thing that has been stalking all these, all these experiments with wealth and power and relationship. And... There's one thing that we haven't really talked about much that, that contributes to the smokiness of life. We've kind of come around it. We might have mentioned it here or there, but we haven't really sunk our teeth into it. One of the reasons 
that nothing on earth will satisfy you is because we will all die. Death is circling all of us. And so Solomon is, is going to dive in to death. And he's going to take he's going to bring death into his experiment. He's going to say, How do we live life knowing that we will all die? How do we live life knowing that our loved ones will die? How do we live life knowing that death is a surprise? Can't plan on it. How do we live life this way? How do we live life? Solomon's Solomon's message, what he's going to end up with, and what I hope we end up with, is this. Here's the message. Okay, Those who trust God can be joyful even in the shadow of death. Those who trust God can be joyful even in the shadow of death. Join me. Grab your Bible. Let's read. Let's continue on this experiment. Let's talk about death. Chapter 9. Big number 9. And we're going to read together to little number 12. Big number 9. And then to little number 12. Chapter 9, verse 2, verse 12. I'll read aloud. You read along with me in your Bible. It goes like this. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they shall have no share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol 
in the boat of the dead to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. How do we live with death? How do we live with death? First thing that Solomon says, when we talk about death, first place we need to start as Christ followers, as believers in God, as, as those who, who seek who God is, we need to understand the first thing we need to understand is that God has built every day of our lives before we live them. Remember last week? God has built every day of our life before we live them. And those days will be filled with both good things and bad things, and we cannot predict which is coming next. Solomon says in verse 1 that God is totally sovereign. He says, I have laid it up in my heart. I put my heart and soul into this, into examining these things in life. And what Solomon has found is, it's the righteous and the wise and their deeds, everything about life is in whose hands? God's hands. Everything. God is totally sovereign. He is in control. Everything that happens everywhere goes through the hands of God. Amen. Think about what life would be like if that wasn't true. How scary would that be? How scary would that be if tomorrow was random? How scary would that be to know that we have an enemy, the devil, who hates us and hates the truth and wants to pull you away from Christ, how scary would it be to know that tomorrow is totally up in the air and hopefully things work out okay? How terrifying is that? No, we've got it much better than that. God has built every single day. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing happens outside of His jurisdiction. And this is good news, believers. This is good news. Because God has promised to never let something bad happen to you if He can't squeeze out of it eternal joy for you. Are you with me? God is in total control and He has promised through Jesus that everything that happens to you, good and bad, will turn for you an eternal good, an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So there's no need to fear. God has got this. And because everything is in God's hands, and we don't know every detail of His will, we can't know the specifics about what's coming down the road. We can know and believe that everything that comes down the road is going to be turned for our eternal good and, and His glory. We can believe that. But those little details about what's going to happen and how God's going to bring that out, we don't know. 
And so Solomon says, these things, all these things are in God's hands, whether it's good things or bad things, we don't know. Whether it's love or hate, we don't know. Whether it's life or death, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how God will glorify Himself, but we know that He will. We don't know how God, what God will use to store up for us eternal good, but He will. We don't know if He'll do that through bad things or good things, but all things will serve those purposes. And everything that shape, the thing that shapes these passages, what He's setting us up for, God, we are in God's hands and He is good and, and He is powerful and He is in control and we don't know if the road is going to be good or bad or how much of it is coming uh, and He's setting us up for what? We don't know when death is coming. He says, it is the same for all. The same event happens to us all. And then verse 12. Will you read with me again verse 12? Verse 12 talks about death and this, this uh, unpredictable nature of death. It goes like this. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. We think we are the captains of our souls. We think we're steering our life down the river and we are really in charge. But Scripture would say the unpredictability of death is around every corner. And it means... How is this for humbling us? And the unpredictable nature of death means that we are in many ways no better than the birds or the fish. Just as a fish minding his own business, minding his own business, is caught in a net of death, and just as a bird minding its own business is caught in a hunter's snare, Jordan Hodges will one day be minding his own business and be suddenly caught and unexpectedly caught by death. And what's the reality? It could be right now. It could be on the way home. It could be in 60 years. We don't know. The unpredictability of death stalks everyone who lives under the sun. Well, maybe, maybe, if I, maybe if I'm a little bit more righteous, maybe God will let me live a little longer. Or maybe if I become one of those really rich people, you know, talking billionaires, who, have, who hire people to figure out how to give them longer lives. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Those, those types of people. Maybe if I do that, maybe if I get a billion dollars and I pay the right smart people, they can figure out how to extend my life. So maybe wealth or righteousness or something else. Maybe I can, maybe I can trick death somehow. No. Verse 2 says, 
It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. Clean and unclean. What is he talking about? Well, in Solomon's day, to worship God in the temple, what did you have to do? You had to ritually clean yourself. Okay? You had to ritually clean yourself. That, that teaches us, that teaches our kids that to be in the presence of God is a big deal. Okay, that's the purpose of it. Ritually clean yourself to enter the presence of God. Solomon says, the super religious person who does everything they're supposed to do is at church every Sunday, who ties, who, who is a, lives a righteous life, all that, that person cannot buy one more day of life from God. Are you with me? I couldn't live under that system, for one thing, right? I mean, that would, I'd go crazy. The clean and the unclean, the one who sacrifices and the one who doesn't sacrifice. Again, what are we talking about? God's old covenant with the people of Israel, you bring an animal to the temple to be sacrificed to cover your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. Is that a good, it's a good thing. It was a good thing. What does Solomon say? If you are in the temple every single day sacrificing an animal for the forgiveness of your sins, can you buy one more day of life from God? No. No. Those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, he who is willing to swear an oath to God, and the one who shuns an oath to God. I'm, I'm too scared to give a promise to God. Both of those will face death. And verse 11 says it like this, And again I saw that under the sun, the race of life is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Happen to them all. And he says, he ends it this way, and he ends this thought this way for us. This is an evil, he says, in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us all. Same event happens to us all. Why is that an evil for Solomon? Well, part of it is, don't you think the missionary that has given their entire life to share the Gospel in Africa, all the misery of, of the, that they might experience, don't you think that person should earn something from God? Doesn't a little bit of you think that? Don't you think the criminal, the really the terrible people, don't you think they earn an early death from God? Don't you think that? Don't you feel that? Maybe it's just me. So Solomon says on the, on the surface, death will take everyone regardless of our evaluation on their life. And on the surface, this seems to be a great evil. And now here's the equation. Here's the equation. Ready? God is in total control. Plus, the good and the bad both face the same fate. Death. Okay? That's the equation. So the question is, is that unfair? Is that unfair? Is that unfair of God? 
course not. Of course not. Why? Why is that not unfair of God? Well, one reason is, and if you've been in this church for a while, I hope you know this answer. The one reason that's not, unf- that, that's not unfair, that the good and the bad both die, one reason is what? Are there any good people under the sun? No. No. There might be religious people and unreligious people. There might be church attenders and, un- and not church attenders. There might be X, Y, sacrificers and non-sacrificers. There might be that. Are there good and bad people under the sun? No. No. And Solomon admits that. Second part of verse 3 says this, Also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Solomon himself says what? Your heart is filled with evil. My heart is filled with evil. He says, beyond that, your heart is filled with madness and my heart is filled with madness. You might remember this from several weeks ago when we first started. Solomon said, I'm going to study wisdom and foolishness, evil and madness. And we learned that madness doesn't mean cuckoo crazy. Madness is worse than that. Madness means someone who has set themselves up as, as opposed to the things of God. In other words, someone who says, I will rebel against the creator of the universe. Solomon says, that's madness. Israelites say that's madness. That's worse than being cuckoo crazy. The hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. And this, my friends, if you, if you reject that, if you reject this, that think that, well, no, we are good people, just kind of, we need a little bit of help, a little bit of boost. My friends, listen, you you must reject all of God's Word to believe that. This idea that Solomon brings up reflects the rest of Scripture. All mankind is desperately wicked at heart and is in rebellion against God. Let me give you a few. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'll never forget, I was preaching this and a woman in the back church ago, not this church, woman in the back, when I read that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, she stood up and she goes, no, that's not true! For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 8.7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Isaiah 53.6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And it is because of this evil in our hearts, it is because of this madness in our hearts, it is this reason that death is in mankind's story. Romans 5.12 and 19 says it this way, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And death came through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this is the equation. God is in total control. 
And He is good and He is righteous. And He will punish and wipe out evil. Is that a good thing that God will punish and wipe out evil? Are you happy when God, are you happy that God has promised to wipe out racism or wipe out murder, wipe out adultery? Are you happy about that? And what's the other side of that coin? God will wipe out evil, and where can evil be found? My heart. God is totally just and holy and will obliterate wickedness because He is good. We are sinful and wicked, so therefore, all humanity faces the same fate. Death. So the question isn't, why in the world do people die? Why in the world do good people die? Why in the world do Christians die? That's not the right question. Rather, the question should be, why in the world does God let anyone live one more day? If you miss that, you will miss the grace of God and the mercy of God. If you miss that point, you will think that God owes you something for your righteousness. The question is, why does God let me have one more breath? That's the question. And so, when all is said and done, when my story has been closed, when Jesus returns and history as we know it has ceased to be, when I am with the Father and you are with the Father and we look back on all of our life and all of our deaths, no one will have a single complaint. All we will do is just bask in the glory of God and say, I cannot believe in the grace, the grace and mercy of God that was poured out on me. He let me have 34 years? Am I 34? I don't know. 34. He let me have 34 years. He lets me have 35 years. Grace and mercy. He lets us have a child. Grace and mercy of God. Why does God let us have another breath? Every breath we take is a merciful gift from God. Every day we live is a gracious gift of God. Grace. A gift that we don't deserve. Okay, grace, a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy, not getting something we deserve. Okay, so parents, when your kid deserves a spanking, but you don't spank them, that's mercy. When you give them a cookie and they've been terrible all day, that's grace. And parents, I encourage you to explain it that way. That's how we talk to our kids about that, right? It's great. It's gospel right there in parenting. It's great. And then ask for forgiveness a lot, parents, because that's, that's what i got to do, and maybe you too. Every day we live is a day we can reconcile with our death. What a gift of that, of God. Every day we live is a day we can reconcile with the death that is coming. Every day we live, there is hope. He says, as long as you're with the living, what? There is hope. There is hope. Every day we live is a day we can prepare for eternity. It's grace and mercy. He says a living dog is better than a dead lion. They hated dogs. They loved lions. The lion of Judah. Jesus is the lion of Judah. Right? He says even a living dog is better than a dead lion. It's better. Once you're alive, you, can, you have hope. There's hope. There's hope. 
Once you're dead, everything else is gone. You have no more account with who's under the sun. You have no more. There's nothing you can build up. There's nothing you can do. When you're dead, it's over. There's no more reward. There's no more work. Your days under the sun are done. Then comes judgment. But the living can prepare for the inevitable. To be alive is to have hope to prepare for eternity. So how does Solomon, how does Solomon, now Solomon is pre-Jesus, He's, he has forward-looking faith that God is going to take care of things, that God is going to send somebody to take care of things, but it's forward-looking to Jesus. They was hazy, didn't know what He looked like, didn't know exactly what He's going to do, but we're going to talk about it in a minute. They knew enough. And they, so forward-looking faith. We have backward-looking faith to the cross. They had forward-looking faith. So how does He, with forward-looking faith, suggest we live as we prepare for death? God is in control. God is good. God is merciful. Every breath we take is grace and mercy of God. So Solomon says, seize the day. Be joyful. He says, eat good food. Drink good drinks. Party. He says, wear white robes. Don't you wear black. Wear white. What do you wear white for? You wear white for parties. You wear black for Funerals, you wear white for joy. You wear sackcloth for sadness. Just be joyful. Understand the grace and mercy that you have in one more day. Live it to the fullest. He says, have oil on your face all the time. When you come into my party in ancient Israel, you're walking on dusty roads a long way. You're sweaty and dirty and nasty. When you enter in, I don't want a bunch of nasty looking people at my party. What am I going to do? I'm going to offer you oil. Wash your face. That gives you a nice golden shine. And so the idea is the outside will reflect the joy within you. And so Solomon says, have joy on your forehead all the time. All the time. Church, God is passionate about your joy. Are you with me? If you are lacking in joy... There's a problem. Be joyful. God wants you to be joyful. Especially in the face of death and in the face of the next day that is merciful and and grace-filled. Enjoy your wife and love her well. Work hard and let your work remind you that you only have one life to contribute. How can we enjoy life in the face of death? Submit to God's sovereignty over your life because believe that while death is an evil due to sin, your death will not be unjust. And realize the gravity of your sin means every day that God gives you is mercy and grace. So wake up tomorrow and live like you won the lottery. Play with your kids because you won the lottery. Love your life well because you, loved, well, you won the lottery. Go get a, eat a good burger with your friend because you won the lottery. Are you with me? That's how, that's how Christians, that's how we should live. Are we a joyful church? Do we sing joyfully? You know what I mean? Are, are we displaying that kind of joy? 
Is my daughter going to grow up in this church thinking that Christians are just crusty old people who don't like anything? Or is she going to grow up knowing that, yeah, Christians are happy, joyful people. Even in the face of bad things, we're joyful. Because we realize the mercy and grace of God. But, is that all there is? Again, Solomon's forward-looking faith. He knew that that God was going to fix it somehow. And and through the next centuries, God was going to add those pieces to the the Word of God and we get a clearer picture. But is that all there is? Just seize the day? Is that the best we've got when it comes to death? Should we just enjoy life now and, and, and that's our only response to death? That will help me live for the next 50 years if God allows it. But I need, I need an answer to death on the other side. I need to know how to live my life on the, so I can be on the other side joyful. Solomon's equation is God is in control, death is evil, we have evil in our hearts, so all die, so enjoy life in the face of death. But that's not the final equation. That's the extent of Solomon's understanding. In the next few centuries, God would continue to reveal that he was not done dealing with death. And he begins in the next several centuries to reveal his plan and humanity's hope through his inspired word, through the Bible. We start to get an understanding of God's ultimate plan for death. We we see that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what that will look like. Scripture says we will be glad and rejoice forever. So we will be on the other side of death, Christian, forever. Isaiah 65, 18 and 20 says it this way, never again, we get these little pieces, right? Before Jesus, God gives us a little bit more, a little bit more understanding. He says this, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but only a few days. How many of us know that pain? When God deals with death, that will never happen again. In the new heaven and new earth, that will never happen again. Or an old man who does not live out his years. God's going to deal with that. Psalm 73 says it this way, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. God's going to deal with death. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. We will have God. How long? He says, my portion forever. There's something on the other side that God's doing. In a few more years, we get this from a prophet of God, Hosea 13, 14. I will deliver this people, God says, from the power of the grave and I will redeem them from death. God is doing something. He's moving against death. And then Isaiah 25, 8 says it this way, He will swallow up death forever. 
God's doing something with death. How will God swallow up death? That's what they were asking before Jesus came. They were asking, how will this look? And then we get little portions of it. And then we get Moses in Deuteronomy 18 saying, the one who swallowed death will be a prophet like Moses. And we must listen to him because he will speak the words of God. And we get another little puzzle piece. Ezekiel 37, he says, he is a king and a shepherd. He will guide us. That's who's coming to swallow death. Isaiah 9, he is the son of God. God can't count on one of us to do it. it must be God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. Micah 5 2. Somebody coming to swallow death will be born in Bethlehem and he has a history in the ancient of days, into eternity past. He's eternal. He's the eternal God and he's coming. Psalm 2. He is the Son of God who will possess the whole earth. Psalm 16, he's the Holy One of God who will never sin. Zechariah 9 9, he will come into Jerusalem endowed with salvation and he'll be humble we get these pieces of the puzzle from god and so then how will the chosen one swallow up death how will he do that because we are sinful people how can he do it because death comes and i'm sinner how can he do that how will the chosen one swallow up death romans 5 says it this way sin came into the world through one man do you remember and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I've got death because of my sin. How will the chosen one deal with this? Hebrews 9.9 says, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of what? Without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. Sin is why I die. Sin is why I'm going to die and perish in hell forever. Sin is why I will be punished in hell forever. Sin, like he's got to deal with sin and how is sin dealt with? God has set up the system to deal with sin, but the shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. That's how He set it up for Israel in the ancient times. Why? You shed somebody, you shed blood for your sins. Boy, you're going to think that your sin is a big deal, right? You're going to know and understand that sin and death are connected. So the chosen one is going to have to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, the chosen one who will swallow death for God's people will die for his people. Taking on the mantle, the theme of sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, the chosen one will be sacrificed to bring forgiveness of sins. To kill death, the chosen one dies. The chosen one is poison for death. Are you with me? The chosen one is poisoned for death. To kill the monster that is death, he is swallowed up by death. And he is poisoned for death. Isaiah 53, Surely he took our sins, our infirmities, and our sorrows. He was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed. And so Jesus came and He died on the cross to be poisoned for death. Now how do we know? How do we trust, how do we trust that He has taken care of it? How do we trust 
that he that he's done it that 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 there will be something on the other side for me how can i trust that how can i trust in jesus to take care of death he died how can i trust that how do i know that he did it men of israel listen to this message Jesus of Nazareth was a man certified by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through Him as you yourselves know. He was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge and you, by the hands of the lawless, put Him to death by nailing Him to a cross. But God raised Him from the dead, releasing Him from the agony of death because it was impossible for Him to be held in death's clutches. And Jesus calls you and me to come to Him for eternal life. He is poisoned for death. He has conquered death. It's over. He did it. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal, what? Life. And so now, question is for you and for me is do we have victory over death? Are you going to die in your sins? And are you going to experience eternal death forever in hell? Are you going to be in hell forever? Are you going to die in your sins? Or Are you going to turn from your sins to Jesus? Are you going to trust Him, the chosen one of God who was sent to to bring forgiveness for your sins, to bring you eternal life, not eternal death? Are you in Christ? Christian, are you living like you have victory over death? Are you living like tomorrow morning when you wake up you won the lottery? Is that how you're living your life? Church, are we a church filled with that? Are we, are we a joyful church realizing that we, we get to gather together again? We all, we all made it through this week. Breathing. What a miracle. What a gracious gift that is. Are we going to gather together and celebrate that every Sunday? Are we going to be unified together? Are we going to love one another? Hey, you going to see, see me next week and go, hey, you made it this week. Awesome. Let's, let's go sing about it. That's a church that's going to change Pittsburgh. Can we say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? It's gone. It's in the grave. Are we going to say, where, O death, is your sting? Yeah, it hurts a little bit here, and it's, 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 it's hard here. We get Our hearts break because of death here, but we know that that sting is just for a little while. Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, is that true for you? I'm asking the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a song together. And we want you to ask yourself, have you victory over death? Do you have victory over death? Christian, are you living a joyful life? like you won the lottery every time you breathe because of the mercy and grace of God. Is that how you're living? 
Is that our church? Is that, do, do our guests come in and feel the joy that we have and say, I want some of that? Church, is that who we are? Deacons, is that who we are? Have you trusted in Jesus to give you victory over death? 